you. Could I get the satay lontong with three beef skewers? Three beef, yes. yes. Thank you. Hello, how are you? One lamb, one chicken. One lamb, one chicken. Thank you. The sweet soy and fried onions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about the sweet soy sauce. Just, uh, just If you're down local, like me, you've probably checked out the Prat Market and the Sari Rasa Satay Stall. It's a hot spot for authentic Indonesian satay skewers, and let me tell you, they're delicious. I'm Nicole Brown, a Larrakia woman living in Darwin, or Garamilla as we say, and you're listening to Salty Plum Stories, a podcast about our city's unique multicultural community. I literally come here every time I go to the market. It's the only place I go to. <laughs> I just love their satays and they're always so friendly. This is my go-to. But you have to come early because they always sell out. In this episode, we'll meet Nabila Majid and find out how her family came from Indonesia and made Darwin their home. Hello, nama saya Nabila. Hi, my name is Nabila and I am a law student here in Charles Darwin University. I live on Larrakia land and my parents own and operate Sarasa Sate and Sarasa Restaurant. Yes, that's right. Nabila's family run a stall at the markets and a restaurant in the city. It's a hidden gem. You'd never know it was there unless a local pointed you in the right direction. So Sarasa um, is located in Kavanagh Street, which pre-bombing of Darwin was the old Chinatown. It's located in the Arafura Arcade, which is a very old like outdoor arcade. It's um, dark. It's probably not the prettiest, most modern place. But if you keep walking through, you'll see a very old, banged-up <laughs> Sari Rasa sign in red. Follow the sounds of people chatting, plates clanking, and, um, you know, probably mum's staff yelling. And the smell, of course. Sari Rasa is a bit of a Darwin institution, as is Blachan, which is like sambal or shrimp paste. Some say that if you haven't tasted Blachan, you haven't been to the real Darwin. Now there's like different ways on how Blachan is cooked. Mum's is very like shrimp heavy and like fish, fish paste heavy. It's also much more spicy um, than like the indigenous blachan. It's different. It's more like a just a sambal, like a um, smooth chili paste. There are different types of blachan and an ongoing debate about its origins. I have the strong belief that blachan actually came from the Macassans, um, you know, Indonesia, and then they, when they came to do trades with the indigenous people, you know, they would have also shared food and introduced them to Blachan. And then I think that that's how you get the merging of like Indigenous culture and Indonesian culture and like their dish of Blachan. From at least the 1700s, long before Captain Cook ever caught sight of Australia, the Macassans travelled by boat from the Indonesian island of Sulawesi to fish and trade with First Nations people from the coast of Arnhem Land to the Kimberleys. Today, it's a two and a half hour flight from Darwin to Bali, but back in the 1700s, Macassan sailors took about 25 days to make the almost 2,000 kilometre trip by boat to the northern shores of Australia. They came to the top end to fish for sea cucumbers, or trepang as they called this delicacy, which they boiled, dried and then traded with China. The Macassans didn't settle in Australia. 
but they did have an impact on the local Aboriginal people, trading metal, calico, tobacco and rice in exchange for spear tips and food. There are many stories of these early interactions, including of Larrakia men assisting with the Trapang fishing and being employed on Macassan sailing vessels. It's likely that these annual visits were the first ongoing contact between Aboriginal peoples and a foreign culture. The Macassans coming to Australia and trading with Aboriginal people, I think, is such a um, important part of how I view, you know, my culture and my identity um, within, like, Australia. Maybe I'm not that much of an outsider because my people were here, you know, connecting with the Indigenous people, and like, I feel, in a sense, a kind of proud that, like, my people came and traded and got along with their people in a in a way that was like worked well for them and they had a good relationship. The village that my family's from is called Madura and it's a little island just off of um, the main island of Java. Um, there's a lot of greenery, a lot of trees, bamboo trees and rice paddies and cows everywhere and the roads aren't bitumen, they're all made from stone. In my family, there's seven of us all together. Um, my parents, um, and then there's my older brother, Amir, um, my older sister, Iza, myself, and my two younger sisters, Isma and Amina. Nabila's grandpa worked on the Darwin Wharf doing maintenance on trains in the 1970s, but he left not long after Cyclone Tracy hit. Then Nabila's father migrated to Australia in the 1980s and went to high school. But he really struggled. He told me that he never actually really liked school because he never really understood what the teacher was saying. But the one thing that he did like was cars. And at that time, there was a teacher at Casuarina who really took Dad under his wing and let Dad use the garage there at base at the school, try to fix old cars. And he's teacher as well, like tried to get him like a um, apprenticeship at a mechanic, but none of them would accept him because his English was so limited at the time. And since then, he's always just tried to find an alternative. So he's always worked as a driver of some sort. During the day, he was a driver for the Indonesian consulate um, here in Darwin. So he'd clean the cars, drive them, and he'd do some like servicing on them as well in his spare time. From that, he then moved to driving taxis. When Nabila's dad was a young man, he'd send money back home to Indonesia and visit. Nabila's mum also lived in the same village. In fact, their families were friends. As is common in Indonesia, relatives got them together in an arranged marriage called a nikah, which is a religious Muslim wedding ceremony. But it was difficult for both of them. Her dad's grandma was dying and her mum had a boyfriend and didn't want to marry this man who was seven years older. Then she moved to a new country with her new husband and had to learn a new language and a new way of life. Mum told me she learnt to love my dad and it was because of the way that dad treated her. He bought her a business, you know, he pushed her, he taught her how to drive even though she like refused to but he's like, no, you have to learn how to drive and so she thinks that she got really lucky that she um, ended up with my dad and they are so in love now. Um, And as they get older, I feel like their love for each other gets stronger. 
a lot of it also goes to dad and his way of being able to see that mum is more than just a housewife, which is like pretty rare for like Indonesian um, men. So I'm grateful for dad that he got to, he saw that mum was capable of so much more and he um, wanted to give her a place where she could connect to culture, find her identity, like thrive in, you know, in, in Darwin, make her own connections with her own people separate from dad. And I think when she got Sarirasa was when it all changed for her. She thrived. She got to cook using, you know, her foundations that she learned from her mum. And then not only that, she got to see that people from all different cultures and backgrounds were enjoying her food, like not just Indonesians. And I think that made her realise that there isn't much of a difference um, whether, you know, people are Indonesian or Thai or Australian. Um, I think she understood that we're not very different. We like the same things. You know, you enjoy my culture and my cooking. And, you know, she enjoys the occasional, like, steak and, <laughs> steak and mash. Nabila's mum started a monthly group to connect with her Indonesian culture and religion. It's called Yasinta and Tahlil and it's the first Saturday of every month and a bunch of people get together who are like um, Muslim and majority of them are Indonesian and we eat food and we like pray together and we also cite like versions of the Quran but through the drumming and the music and it's a beautiful way for people like me to be reintroduced into Islamic religion. Nabila's parents are both practicing Muslims, but they worried about how their children would navigate their religion and contemporary Australian life. Also, growing up in a post 9-11 world, Nabila felt uncomfortable about being associated with the religion of her parents, especially how she saw it portrayed in the media. I only started wearing the hijab like last year, November. Um, Prior to that, I was thinking about it for a while, but my parents also now understand that the way that I want to learn about my religion and, like, the way that I want to practice it, it, it's the way that makes sense most to me. You know, the sounds of the drumming and and the chanting, it's so surreal to hear it. It's especially when it echoes through the house, you know, and for me, it's beautiful, but for other people also, like, there are women, like, who are in tears listening to it because not only is it the religion aspect, but I think also a majority of it is them remembering home or missing home. It's really beautiful to see how people who are not Muslim feel very, like, comfortable enough to come and join and sit and, like, listen and see this other side of Islamic religion. Growing up, Nabila couldn't see people like her, women of colour and women wearing the hijab. I would say that I was a bit more hesitant to wear the hijab at first because there was, you know, very few, or if any, women in the legal field in the Northern Territory who, you know, wear the hijab in the place that I'm working at now. They've openly supported me wearing the hijab and a major part of me wanting to wear it was because I was finally with an employer where I felt comfortable enough that I would that I could wear it, start wearing it at work. I wanted to be able to be that person, like that little girls, you know, little Muslim girls could look up to and, you know, whether it be in the legal field or whether it be anything. In the beginning, 
growing up, I struggled. But now I'm actually grateful that I've got both this Australian identity and this Indonesian identity and being able to merge them together, I think it brings more to the table in terms of what I can offer. Thanks to Indonesian Australia law student Nabila Majid for sharing her story. And if you ever visit Darwin, I highly recommend heading to the Parat Markets on a Saturday for a satay skewer at the Sari Rasa store. Next time we hear from my good friend, Sachi Hirayama. In Australia, I think I've kind of fit because of I'm a little bit outspoken. But in Japan, it was a little bit difficult for me to tell my opinion and do whatever I want because uh, Japan is kind of have many rules, hidden rules. And you, uh, somehow people know there is a rules and they follow the rules, but I couldn't. Saudi Plum Stories is a City of Darwin podcast produced by Laura Uden and Cinnamon Nippard with editorial support from Johanna Bell and mixing by Hamish Robertson. The incredible soundtrack was composed and mixed by Kuya James and Tutut Malut. For more information, head to the Discover Darwin website. I hope to see you in Darwin, Garamilla, on my beautiful Larrakia country soon. If you want to hear some yarns from my people, search Saltwater Stories of the Larrakia. I'm Nicole Brown. Thanks for listening.